So in 2013, I was uh, interviewing here with the barn, and um, on Saturday night before the Sunday morning when um, I was going to preach a sermon and the congregation votes, Presbyterians sometimes vote. We don't vote on everything, we sometimes vote. One of the things you vote on is whether the lead pastor can be the lead pastor, um, which obviously worked out. The night, the night before, I was to meet with the elders. I was a little late to the meeting because I was Matt Blazer then and am now. And I was walking in over here, and I saw a figure running, kind of head down, to give me a hug. And um, it was not an elder. It was my friend, Jenny, who uh, wasn't supposed to be at that meeting, even though she was on the pastor nominated committee. Um, it's okay that she was there. She came to give me a hug. Um, for those of you that didn't know her, um, you're at a, a you know, family dinner, and we're glad you're here. We're a little bit sad. But what we do on Sundays is celebrate the resurrection. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We are resurrection people. That's our hope and our faith and our trust. But we still live in the midst of sin and death. And at the top of the list of people who I know would still want us to do that on Sunday is Jenny. And I'm not saying that tritely. If you knew her, you know that that's 100% how she would do it. We considered canceling our congregational meeting. Those of you that have been members here for a while, she was one of the few people I didn't have to ask to take the nominating committee seriously. Remember that about her? So we're still going to eat today. And we will be a little more sad, but we will still meet as a family and pray and do some of our business and uh, be a family on mission together. And if you are not a member of the church, you're still welcome to come. Can't vote. If you vote, that'll mess everything up. But you're still welcome to eat with us and uh, hear some of our business. Um, We're teaching through, or I'm teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, the most important speech in history if Jesus indeed rose from the dead. And uh, this morning I was going to take the first 19 verses of Matthew chapter 6, and then in three weeks I was going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, and I'm swapping those because um, I don't want to talk about how toxic religious activity can be today. I want to talk about the most comforting part of the whole Bible, I think, which is the Lord's Prayer. Learning to pray what we believe, learning to follow the commands of Jesus in praying this way. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that you see our yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We are thankful that you are a good Father. We praise you that in a world marred by sin, though noble, you alone are holy and entirely good. Father, we ask that you would make our individual lives and this church community like your kingdom. Realize your kingdom in the small areas where we have some amount of influence and power. Father, give us everything that we need. Forgive us, Lord, for missing opportunities to love and for hurting at times in our moments of fatigue and anger and unforgiveness. And help us then to enjoy your forgiveness in part by forgiving those who cause us pain. 
And good Father, protect us from the evil that we see and the evil that we do not see. Amen. If you have your Bible, we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the way that Jesus opened this teaching, because I will in a couple of weeks. But we need to notice that the first thing that he said about prayer is how not to pray. So if you have your phone, Google the ESV Bible, Life Church app, or perhaps a, you know, paper Bible. I'm in verse 3. And when you pray, Jesus assumed that we would pray. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I will talk about that. It's one of the most misunderstood but also strongest things Jesus said. It is the most consistently wrong thing I see weighing on people's hearts is an understanding of relational forgiveness. We will talk about that a little bit. But we start with Him. When we pray, we start with our Father. And many of us in this room are immediately disoriented that we are to call God Father. Because I'm going to get through the whole Lord's Prayer, I'm going to say something uh, quickly about this, but also firmly. Listen to me. Every bit of disorientation about the word Father stems from our need to receive God's love in a fatherly way to us as a child. And every resistance to it, especially in prayer, stems from a destructive agreement that you made for legitimate reasons that's hurting you. This is... Presbyterian version of yelling to speak very firmly and slowly. <laughs> Listen again. All of our disorientation, our disorientation at calling God a good father stems from our need to know and realize and sense that he is a loving father to us. And all of our resistance to it, while legitimate, stems from a destructive agreement that we made Remember, I'm never going to need somebody like that again because it was too painful. I get why you made that agreement. It's hurting you with respect to understanding God as a good father. And it's hurting me when I don't break the agreement. How do we break the agreement? Acquiescing Jesus teaching us to pray this way. Our father. Over, 
around 60 times, Jesus tells us to relate to God that way. 60. And Jesus didn't waste words. The gospel transcends our issues with our fathers. It must to be good news. We start with him and calling him good father and then we locate him. This happens repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Do you know why it's important to locate God in your prayers? It's a gentle reminder that he is other. Heaven is a separate plane of existence. From it, God is outside of space and time. Women and men much smarter than me speculate that they're up to ten dimensions. We can understand three or maybe four or more for those of you that are smarter than me about things like dimensions. Like, why are you talking about dimensions? You clearly don't understand them. That's true. I do know this. God sees your yesterday and your today and your tomorrow. Which is why we actively remember in prayer that He is in heaven. We have the Holy Spirit who will never leave us or forsake us. He understands our past, our present, and our future. Before we ask for anything, and there are some good, good asks in the Lord's Prayer, but before we ask, we remember that He's a good Father. We remind our soul that He's a good Father. We remind our soul that He sees our yesterday and today and tomorrow. And those of our friends also. There is not a personal pronoun in the Lord's Prayer. It looks like there are because of the way English doesn't capture it as well. They're collective. So not only do we remember that we have the Holy Spirit who will never leave us or forsake us, we have others who are praying this today and probably this afternoon and this evening. I will pray it again today. Hallowed be your name. Why is that important? What does hallowed mean? God is holy. Human beings are made in the image of God. There is good in people, and yet they're so marred. We are so marred. We are such bent people, such glorious ruins. Francis Schaeffer, such broken vessels. Jeremiah. Brennan Manning said, I'm like an angel with a great capacity for beer. (laughs) Catholic mystic monk. Capturing that we are broken vessels. The world is made so beautiful and yet it is groaning also for redemption. There is but one good in the universe and that is God. The with God life is one of trust and we are trusting God that he is holy. And so we say, hallowed be your name. This is a hopeful prayer. It is a realistic prayer in all that it implies in terms of our need, and it is a hopeful prayer. So we move from, from speaking to him about him and to our soul about him by extension to a collective petition. So we're asking, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking that our hearers look more like his. The world that you inhabit with your circumstances, gifts, and affections places that you have power, we're asking him to make those places more like his kingdom. I really like the ministry of a group called Ransomed Heart. The way they pray this is that our vehicles and finances and houses and lives and words reflect your kingdom. I love that they pray over their vehicles. We think that's unspiritual. Everything is spiritual. 
And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're asking that our places where we have power, because you have power, you know that, right? I know that one of the most regularly annoying things about being a human being is how little control you have, but you have power. You have words and circumstances, gifts and affections, and how you use them and do not use them is part of your extension of power. And what followers of Jesus pray is, may my use of power reflect your kingdom of love and generosity, choosing not to retaliate. Give us this day our daily bread. Anyone familiar with the story of Exodus, and especially someone who worships the God of the Old Testament, would immediately think of manna. When God took the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he fed them in the desert, one of the many supernatural uh, claims of Scripture. Not only because they needed food, but to help them remember that they are relying upon him. That the with God life is one of trust and reliance. We pray it metaphorically. Unless you're receiving manna. If so, please tell me later. That would have worked so well at this point in the sermon. I'd have trouble explaining it, but it'd be really cool. For us, it's a metaphor. We're trusting God. The with God life is one of ever-increasing trust in Him. We are trusting Him for our daily needs. That doesn't mean we don't plan. That doesn't mean we're not wise with respect to our vocation and how we do money and things like that. But it does mean it's all in His hands. And we remember that actively. We speak to our soul about it. We thank Him for it as we're asking Him to meet our needs. Forgive us our debts. When I was a kid, I thought that I needed to ask forgiveness right before I died in order to get to heaven because of texts like this that I misunderstood. And my biggest fear with respect to that was that it was going to be in a plane crash. I flew a lot as a kid. My parents lived in different states. And so I'd be like, this is going to be so stressful because the plane's going to start crashing and I'm going to ask for forgiveness, but then I'm going to sin again. And then I'm going to need to ask for forgiveness again before it crashes or I'm in trouble. That's what I thought. That's not true. When Jesus died on the cross, he said one word in Greek, three words in English. It is finished. Thank you. I'm glad you know that. The word is perfect to tell us die. It is entirely completed. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been given a new heart. You are forgiven by God. And the commands to confess in prayer and to one another are a gift that remind us of God's standards and remind us that we naturally fall short. They help us live the joy of the with God life because we sin. So what do we do with our sin? We confess it. Why? Not because we're going to go to hell if we don't confess it. Yes, that's true initially for salvation. But on a daily basis, why would we pray this way? To enjoy the joy that was purchased for us. You with me? Okay. This is that section more than that section. Am I, am I standing on the wrong side of the podium too much? I'm so, whoa! Ha! 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 She's the only one that gets to give that vigorous of a nod. When I ask a question, the rest of you be subtle about it or it's going to throw me off. That was funny. 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I've been doing uh, some form of ministry for a little over 20 years. I've been an ordained pastor for nine. I've been working in a church for 17. This is the most consistently misunderstood part of Scripture. And the most illegitimately heavy weight I see people carrying around is misunderstanding of forgiveness. I've spoken about it a little bit before. I'll continue speaking about it. I probably need to write a series on it because I always get emails after. Because we, <laughs> because we don't, we tie forgiveness into all these other things that are important, but are not part of forgiveness. Forgiveness can empower and help reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Here's what forgiveness is towards others. It is desiring their good. That's it. It is not desiring their ruin. That's it. You don't have to send them an email. You don't have to remember their birthday. You don't have to remember Christmas. You don't have to write them back. Maybe you should. I don't know. I don't know who we're talking about. I don't know if this is a friend of four years or a parent or a co-worker or a child or a spouse or an ex-spouse. I don't know because neighbor love is a wisdom process. Are we called to love? Of course. If you're in a relationship with someone who always hurts you, the most loving thing to do is draw up some really serious boundaries. That's actually loving to them. If it's your parent, that's honoring to them. To not let them hurt you is honoring to them. Do you understand? You desire their good. You might have no role in it. If you want them to receive pain for the pain they caused for you, now you're in incredible spiritual danger. Someone hurts you, releasing that and choosing to absorb the pain is incredibly difficult. That is what forgiveness is. Not causing pain or wishing pain because of the pain they caused us. It does not mean reconciliation. Are you called to neighbor love? Yes. What does that mean? What an interesting question. Tell me more about the relationship. What are you hearing in prayer? What do your friends think? And I mean your, your good friends. I'm, I'm glad you have the friend that will be like, ah, they're terrible. I hope you have other friends also that will be like, well, tell me more about that story. I'm so sad, but let's talk about it. Forgiveness is also abused by people that cause pain. They say, you need to forgive me. I've forgiven you. I'm not positive we're going to have a longer conversation, though. i got to think. That hurt. You need to forgive me. I have forgiven you. That's not what we're talking about. I'm having trouble relating to you right now. You need to forgive me. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go. Love you. I'm going to go. You understand what forgiveness is and what it is not. It is longing for the other's good. It is not desiring their ruin. It is choosing to not repay or wish for pain for pain. But it does not mean you have to 
whatever they're asking you to do or whatever you think you should do if you're like me. I used to want a spreadsheet, you know, because I have three parents and six brothers and sisters and grandparents everywhere and cousins and nephews and nieces. And I'm like, how many cards and phone calls and texts and gifts? I mean, I only spend like $7 a year on these people if I'm going to do birthdays and Christmas. You know why I don't want a spreadsheet? Really, first of all, I don't like them. It's not, I'm not good at them. You know that. I assume you guys can tell. Thank you. My, our director of communications is laughing. But the other reason is it's not the same. We can't treat every human the same. We can't. It requires wisdom to know how to honor your father and mother. It requires wisdom to know how to love your friends and let them in on your life without venting and crushing them. It requires wisdom to know how to continue to love your spouse because they keep sinning and you keep sinning against them. It requires wisdom to know how to love your child, especially as you transition through the stages of parenting. By the way, parents, it's really important that we teach our children this way of praying. The way is more important than the words for the Lord's Prayer. Here's how I pray it with uh, my nine-year-old. My 11-year-old likes the formal language, and that's fine. She understands the point of the Lord's Prayer. Just checking in with her about that. Here's how I pray this with my nine-year-old. Our Heavenly Dad, you're good. Make our house like your kingdom. Give us everything we need. Forgive us and help us forgive others. We know what forgiveness means because everybody's asking everybody's forgiveness all the time because we sin a lot. Forgive us and help us forgive others and protect us. Any parents want, if you want that written down, the reason I say that is I said it to a bunch of pastors in a conversation. They were like, can, we, can you write that down? I'm like, is it, it's really basic language, but sure. I'm going to say it again if you want to... Me to write down for you later, I will. Our Heavenly Father, you're holy and good. Make our house like your kingdom. Give us everything we need. Forgive us and help us forgive others. Protect us. Okay? This is the most consistently peace-creating way that I pray. I write out some part of the Lord's Prayer and then I give space and time listening to God to fill in those areas of my life in this church and in my family and in my own heart and mind. And then I list another clause and sit for a few minutes and I expand the sections of the Lord's Prayer for my story and yours because you go to this church. That is how we are supposed to appropriate the Lord's Prayer. Which doesn't mean don't pray with other people. It doesn't mean that corporate prayer is, such a, is not a blessing. It is a blessing. Thank you for leading us in corporate prayer this morning. Thank you for leading us at 9 o'clock. It's a blessing. In my personal life, though, this is the most encouraging and peace-creating way to pray. To expand the sections of the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes I run out of time. I return to it later. I use a little journal. Our Father. And then I just usually write a whole bunch of names. Remembering whose good Father He is, who is in heaven. Thank you so much that you see there yesterdays, todays, and tomorrows. Make this kingdom like yours. Give us everything we need. Help us to forgive. Forgive us. Protect us. Parents, the way is more important than the words. Non-parents, the way is more important than the words. Young people, the way is more important than the words. 
old people. The way is more important than the words. That's only if you're over 100. Everybody else is young and spry in this room. But we start with him and then we... There's a collective series of petitions. And by collective, I mean it's, it's a group. We're remembering other saints. Our Father. And then we request help. The English is kind of funny on this. Lead us not into temptation. Leading us to think perhaps like, does he lead us into temptation? No. The point is, especially when we remember pray this way, the point is we're requesting help. Because there's evil that we see, temptation, and there's evil that we do not see, evil. There's danger that we're aware of, and sometimes we choose it anyway because of our limits and fatigue and our residual sinfulness. There's evil that we don't see because there's more to this world than we see and understand. And we're asking for help for both because we need help with both. We need help resisting the evil. We're aware it's evil, but we choose it anyway. That's temptation. We need help with the evil that we do not see. There's more to this world and we see and understand and we ask the Lord to protect us from that. I'm not including the epilogue. One of my children likes the epilogue. One of my children does not like the epilogue. The epilogue is from Chronicles. It's not unbiblical to say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's beautiful. I like ending the prayer with a request for help. It reminds me of my need, and it is the way Jesus said it. It's included in your Bibles because later translations would include it, and it's beautiful, and it's biblical, and it's good. Some of you have been praying it longer than I've been alive. It's fine. Go ahead and keep praying it. I don't like to end it that way, though, because when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, second time that he taught the Lord's Prayer, he ended that way. And when he taught on the Lord's Prayer directly, he ended that way as a request for help. We need help and we have it. It's the good news that God loves us, calls us to himself through salvation in him, and helps us in this in-between time while we're still in the presence of sin and death and living in the Good Friday world. We have that help. Lastly, Jesus mentions a reward. Did you catch that? It's all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We don't like to talk about it. It sounds so unspiritual. And yet it's all over the Bible. Apostle Paul talks about a reward. Jesus talks regularly both about treasure in heaven and a reward from the Father who sees in secret. I'm going to tell you what I think the reward is, even though Jesus doesn't say it. I believe the reward is peace in our hearts. And a sense of intimacy, three things. And a sense of intimacy with the Father. And confidence in our role. Do you know you have a role in the kingdom? While we're waiting for Jesus to return, He not only calls you to Himself, He calls you to make your kingdom look like His with your relative power, with your gifts and affections and circumstances, to learn to love well, to be generous with what you have, to care for others, both in this community and beyond. Here's why I think that that's the reward. Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray in Luke chapter 11 after they saw him get up from a long time of prayer. Sometimes when he goes away to pray, we know a little bit of it, like Gethsemane. Sometimes after John the Baptist dies, we don't know what he prayed. But they would see him after he prayed. And they asked him 
to teach them to pray. Again, he had already taught them, but they saw him. And so as I read the Gospels, and I picture the disciples looking at Jesus, asking him to teach them to pray, that's why I think that's the reward available for you and for me. Last time I mentioned it, someone asked me to explain it. I've now explained it probably imperfectly. I believe the reward for learning the discipline of going to our prayer closet and praying this way is peace that transcends all understanding from the book of Philippians. I believe it's a sense of intimacy with the Father. Jesus said it 60 times. We have a Father in heaven who loves us and cares for us. And I believe we get up from our time of prayer confident in our role in the kingdom. You have a role in the kingdom as a lover of God and neighbor with your circumstances, gifts, and affections. That isn't the good news. The good news is that God loves you and calls you His own because of the work of Christ. We're reconciled to Him. How do we enjoy that joy? And how do we then know what to do? One of the most important ways is learning to pray this way. These words are good. This way is better. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a good Heavenly Father to all of us. Thank you that you are a good Heavenly Father to our friends who are grieving. We thank you that you are holy and you alone fully understand this, though you will give us understanding in the kingdom. Please make our words and lives and vehicles and finances and homes and influence like your kingdom until your kingdom collides with this one and you make all things new. Please give us everything that we need, good Heavenly Father. Forgive us, for we often fall short in failing to love or in actively hurting. And help us to forgive others, to long for their good. Protect us, Lord, from the evil that we understand in part and the evil we do not understand. You do protect us. Amen.